you found your place to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. It says, let a man consider us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motives of the hearts. And then each one's praise will come to him from God. Father, we ask that you just bless the reading, the preaching, the listening, the application of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I will not be preaching at you as much as I'm going to be preaching at myself. Because it has to do with the ministers of God's Word. However, you should even find yourself in that type of a category as you share the great mysteries of God to others. It is to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Our text focus on the true nature and marks of God's ministers. It gives us the basic guidelines, the standards by which ministers are to be evaluated. It is about the attitude, what what they should be. It is about the attitudes um, from a concentration toward uh, the minister and the minister to himself. What is God's perspective? What is it that God would have us to do? Paul makes it clear that popularity, degrees, personality, and numbers play no role in God's perspective. Therefore, it should not play a role in ours. Now, I can tell you as the pastor, as right before church started, that I looked out and seen the numbers. And it's just something in this old pastor's heart to just wish there was more numbers. But know this. It is not about the numbers. What we need this morning, more than numbers, with the the few that is here this morning, what we need more than the numbers is for God and His power to be amongst us here this morning. He is the reason that every one of us should be here. Not because there's going to be a bunch of numbers, and not because the preacher is popular or or educated or anything of that just because of God. For our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the body of Christ to come together. For so it is for his purpose. It is not the minister's job to entertain or whatever besides preach the Word of God. And this is what this text is dealing with. The main point of the passage still is 
concern from what we've been at very beginning of Corinthians is concern with the divisions and over the different pastors that of I'm a Paul and of Apollos and of Cephas. The, the, the message is that the servants of God should not be ranked at all by others or even by themselves. All who are true to Scripture in their preaching and living should be treated equally. Where there's sound doctrine, the teaching of God's Word, and personal holiness, there's no justification for ranking God's servants. Yes, you can find a whole lot of preachers that can speak the English language a lot better than this old preacher. But that's not it. It comes down to the determination, is this old preacher preaching the Word of God? And it, the most eloquent preacher around, ever who that is, if they're just dazzling people with their words, and that's their words, and making people feel good by what a great personality he has and how he smiles at the people and how he how just comforts the people with man's words. It does you no good. It is only God's word that does good. Brother Rick, let's lower our temperature. We got people that's hot if you can if you just go around there and lower it lower it down to 70 <clears throat> Romans chapter 16 verse 17 tells us now I urge you brethren keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances Contrary to the teachings which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not to our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their own smooth, flattering speech, they deceive the heart of the unsuspecting. that you need to listen to what the ministers say. How ministers are to be regarded. Verse 1. How is it that a minister should be regarded? Verse 1 says, Let a man consider us in this manner. As servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what they should consider. To let a man, who is the man? First of all, it's not a certain man. It's it's non-specific. We could say that it applies to Christians. Let all Christians consider us in this manner. But in a a broader scale, it refers to unbelievers, how the church should portray their minister before the world. Uh, Unbelievers cannot understand the things because they are spiritually discerned. Therefore, Christians should not be broadcasting worldly standards among one another. We have no right to use worldly criteria criteria to judge church services. 
Again, by popularity, by personality, by education, and by numbers. As if that makes the gospel more appealing. This past week, I'm walking down the hallway of the courthouse and this guy that works in a courthouse, he about shouted, he didn't wait till he get up close to me. He's about as, probably as close as Ricky is to me right now. And he said, hey, Larry, how many did you have at your church Sunday? And y'all forgive me, but I just thought that was funny. And I said, 532. He said, really? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, we almost had 1,000 at our church. Oh, wow, that's impressive. But why is it not the question this? Hey, Larry, did God move in your service Sunday? Or, Larry, our church, the preacher preached on the prodigal son. And... And in his message, he talked about the prodigal son wanting his inheritance earlier than he should have had it. And he took his father's money and he went off and he lived a life in sin. And he didn't deserve any forgiveness or anything. He spent all the money and then he came to his senses and he began to think about the love of the father and how much his father even treated his servants and, and that he just wanted just to go back to be a servant of his father. But his father was looking for him when he came. Larry, and this was so exciting that he, his father ran to him and, and kissed him and hugged him and said, this is my son who was lost and now he's came home. And the preacher said that relates to all of us who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that our Heavenly Father is just wanting us to come home. May I ask you something, church? Is it better to hear the numbers in the church or hear a message like that? And that's the message that they could tell a lost person. And indirectly through the preached Word of God, they could be sharing the Gospel with someone else instead of saying, hey, we had a thousand people at our church this past Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. I would be very pleased if we had a thousand people. But you can give us a thousand people if no one gets the Word, it's worthless. What if numbers was never brought up? What if the popularity of the preacher was never brought up? Or the praise band was never brought up? But as long as it's being brought up and God's not being brought up, there's a problem. And the church can get bigger and bigger and bigger, but it will fall apart if God is not the central focus. What is the minister? The minister of God's people are not the ones who should be talked about, as I just said. If we speak of the goodness of the body of Christ, that the strength of the church is Jesus Christ, and the people being in Him, strengthened and vitality of the church is, is of the Holy Spirit opening our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive the preached Word of Christ. The love of the church is that we come together as one worshiping the God of heaven, giving glory and praise to our Lord. The minister 
is a servant. That's what our text says. It says that to let a man consider us in the manner as servants of Christ. Servant. It, it indicates a slave. They're, they're known as the under rowers, indicating galley slaves, which uh, they rowed the big ships and they was down in the bottom of the ship while the passengers and and everything was just walking around the ship and enjoying the scenery. Back in that day, there was those that was down there and they were rowing. They were the very engine of the ship. They wasn't thought of very highly. But they were getting the people where they needed to go. And so... Ministers of the church is to be preaching the Word of God, getting the people to hear the Word of God, and so that they may go where they need to go. Amen, preacher, that's good. That's what's needed in our churches today is hear the preached Word of Christ. Some people look at pastors as they're their CEO of a business. They're not. Tracy, Tracy and I was listening to a Q&A at John MacArthur's church on YouTube. And a lady came up to the microphone and she asked, what authority does the pastor have over the church? And MacArthur replied, none at all. None. A pastor is a servant. Well, someone's got to be the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Christian ministers... Pastors are first and foremost servants of Christ called to serve mankind in Christ's name. But cannot serve man rightly unless the minister himself is serving the Lord rightly. The Lord's servants must first serve the Lord before they can serve people. If a minister gets wrapped up in counseling the members and into community affairs and spends less and less time in the Word of God, he becomes unable to meet the people's deepest needs because the greatest resource has been neglected. To serve Christ is to serve Him in His Word, which is the revelation of God's will. A servant is to be that galley slave of Scripture. Obey the commands in His Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, it says, For if, a, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Early in my ministry, I was, I was bragged on something about. I was actually complimented about something that I was a great storyteller. And that's when I was doing topical preaching. And and so when I started doing expositional preaching, the storytelling went down a whole lot. And I had people to tell me, you're really at your best when you're telling the stories. And I, I said, but that's not what God called me to do. That's not it. I must preach the Word of God. Must. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, Paul gives a list in detail what the life of a minister can be like. He said, commending ourselves as servants of God, have endurance. Endurance in affliction, endurance in hardships, endurance in distresses, endurance in beatings, endurance in imprisonment, uh, endurance in turmoil and labor and in sleeplessness and in hunger and in purity and in knowledge and in patience and in kindness and in the Holy Spirit and genuine love and in the word of truth, in the power of God, the servant should be his masters alone. God called Paul to preach the word of God. Minister are not called to be creative, but obedient. They are not called to be innovative. They're called to be faithful. I get downhearted at times. And I'm going to get to that sin of mine here in a little bit when it talks about I can't even examine myself rightly. But I do. I get downhearted at times. And I think. And when I get that, I want to tell you, I can't tell you how many times that when I would get in that kind of position of being down, that God, I didn't come across a Scripture, or if I didn't wind up listening to a preacher, and he and these words have been spoken. Two words: be faithful. Be faithful. I'll tell you, there's there's been some Monday mornings I just felt like resigning, and I'd hear those words: be faithful. I got a call one time from the director of missions over in West Carroll Parish, and he that they was needing a pastor for Epps Baptist Church, and he said, "Larry, won't you come home?" Man, he said, "I've been praying about this, and I think that you're a great fit for Epps Baptist Church." And I said, "Let me pray about it." You know what happened? I tell you where I was at. I was on White's Ferry Road, about there. That y'all that travel it right there, kind of like a bridge before you get to White's Ferry Church. There, <clears throat> I started seeing people of the congregation, and I said, "But I'm their pastor. What would happen to them?" If I left. And I know that God is sovereign. He would take care. But I said, I got to be faithful. Be faithful. Servants or stewards of God's mysteries. Steward is house manager. That's the de- it defined. First Peter chapter four verse ten says each one has received a special gift. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Excuse me. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards, as the manifold grace of God. Stewards are responsible for another resource, another person's resource, another one's resource. We are ministers, we as ministers are responsible for the things of God to be used in a way to bring glory and honor to God. It's, it's God's Word. It's God's Word, and it is to be proclaimed. 
with, with 38 years of law enforcement, uh, and I've shared this with you before, you know, uh, people talk about their emotion being stirred. I can stir everyone's emotion. I guarantee you. I could tell you some of the saddest things and some of the most horrific things that I've seen in law enforcement over the 38 years. And I, I could go and, and I can tell you just cruel things with children and all these kind of things. And man, it would make you weep. It, it would make, and then I could tell you some of the most funniest things I've ever seen in my life that's happened uh, at, at things in law enforcement that I've ran across and just that and I could get you to laughing and all this, but that's not what the preacher is called to do. He's called to preach the Word of God. We're to be stewards, good stewards of God's Word. We're to be stewards, good stewards of His love. We're to be stewards, good stewards of His promises. And on and on of the things that God gives us that we are called to exclaim, to preach. For God's glory. The requirement of a steward. Verse 2 says that in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Above all, be faithful. Ministers are to be consistent. His consistency is, is to proclaim the Word of God and to exhort them by the Word of God, and there will be attacks on his ministry and it is there'll be very hard times and but we must not wear our feelings on our sleeve that they will be trampled and you'll be surprised at sometimes who tramples the minister must be of faith for the cause of Christ I had a deacon one time right before I got up to preach had me in a hallway and I'm telling you jumped all over me. Told me everything that was wrong with me. And then I needed to get up and preach. Wasn't here. But Rick probably feels like it sometimes. Hebrews 12. The first two verses there. Talks about verse 1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. Weight. That weight, that which wants us to be held down. Listen. The enemy always knows who to use and what to put in their thoughts and their and their mind to get them to aggravate the minister. Or he knows exactly how to get into the minister's mind and aggravate him. And weight him down and, and get him to want to resign, get him to want to slow down and not keep going forward. And then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles us. That entanglement is something that wants make you fall. And it wants to make you fall in front of everyone. Especially the minister. Especially that person that's going around and proclaiming Christ. He's doing, the evil one's doing everything that he possibly can do to interrupt any type of thought of, of that minister of being good. Because he wants you to doubt Christ. Christ. 
And then he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance is being faithful. It's perseverance. It's making it to the end. Well, how do you do that? Well, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of a faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what do we see here in this text? In Hebrews, uh, all of the texts are speaking to all believers, certainly the stewards of God's ministries, uh, mystery, excuse me, uh, must abide in it as well. Because there's encumbrances, there's weight. So first we see the encumbrance. It must be laid aside. Jesus said to all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. The second thing is the entanglement. We have the encumbrance and we have the entanglement. Satan wants us to trip. He wants us to fall into sin. But God's Word says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful to cleanse us from all iniquity. And so with the, the weight and the, and the entanglement, what, was, what must a minister do? Endure. Run the race. Fix his eyes on Jesus. Jesus had some weight. He had those that tried to entangle him. Run the race. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look at him. He's the author, the perfecter of faith. Who for the joy, yeah, it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. How can he say the joy set before him endured the cross? How is the cross joyful? Because he's about his father's will. Be faithful. Be faithful. The requirement of a steward is also to be trustworthy. To be constantly obedient to God's Word. God does not require brilliance, amen, or cleverness, or creativeness, nor popularity. He can use those qualities, certainly. But trust His worthiness is absolute essential. It is required. Servanthood and stewardship is inseparable from faithfulness. Matthew 24, verse 25 and verse 26. says, Who then is faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of the household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing when he comes. Let me read that again. Who then is faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. See, that steward, he's the household manager. And ministers, when Christ comes, 
better be found faithful of providing the food to his household. And what is this food? It's his word. It's his word of preaching his word. Oh, they say, listen, there's a, there's a new program out and this pastor used this program and it filled that church. That church went from 50 to 350 in no time at all over this program. The program of God is to preach the Word of God. And then we get to the examination. Verse 3 and 4. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm, I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. He says that it's a small thing. He said it's a, a very small thing that I be examined by you. Paul had the right conviction. He had the ultimate conviction. To be examined means to be investigated. When one is doing right, there's no fear in being investigated. At my work, and at my work where I retired, ever so often there was what they called random blood test. Just making sure everybody's got clean blood. And, and it was funny how many times I got chosen for this random blood test. And I was sent to the lab at St. Francis, and I'd walk in, and I'd say, look, I can save you all some time. I can tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find a Whopper with cheese and fries and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and I don't know if they show up on a blood test, but that would have been all that they would ever have found. I was never fearful. But however, I think there were some guys that was like, uh oh, got to go do a blood test. And long as the minister is preaching the word of God, he has nothing to be fearful of. It's a very small thing that others would investigate him. Or any human court. Others' evaluation, whether they criticize or even they, if they flatter, if they say you're doing good. You know, so many Baptists lie right at the end of the church when they walk out and they shake the preacher's hand and say, Good message. You say, Well, how do you know that? Because at one church I was at, and I've told this many times, it was before I preached and a lady was walking to Sunday school and she came by and she was so used to saying that that she grabbed my hand before I even preached. She said, that was a good message today. And she walked on to Sunday school and I was going, but, 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 but. I had not even preached. I was thinking, what? I got this one made. So it's a very small thing, even that. Even that. But when you see growth in people, you see them spiritually growing, ah, oh, you want to thank the Lord that in some small part of a way, if it was nothing but reading the Scripture that caught them, 
then he gets all the praise and the glory. You know, when I came to the Lord and got out of my sin and out of the rebelliousness that I was in from God, there's a man by the name of Wade Sisk. He sung a special. I came in as low as I could be. And I sat on the back pew of Sheeney Baptist Church, and I did not know, Tracy and I, and I did not know one single person there. And the special, this man by the name of Wade Sisk, he sung, I found a lily in my valley, and it blooms all the time. And I was thinking, wow, I need to find that lily. I need that lily. And the evangelist was a man by the name of James Gardner. And he got up and he said, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. And he preached on the woman at the well. And Jesus told that woman, I have water that you do not know of, that if you drink, you will never thirst again. <laughs> I wanted to run down the aisle before the church got to the invitation part. But as soon as that piano hit, not knowing the preacher, not knowing anybody except Tracy, I came down that aisle. And I grabbed the preacher by his hand and I said, Preacher, I said, I've been away from that well that that preacher talked about. And I said, I'm coming back to the well. I need that water that I would never thirst again. Now, who did that? Was it the preacher? No. Was it the evangelist? No. God just so happened to have me to end up in a church I've never even heard of before that day and sit on a pew and have that song and that message there because he knew what my soul needed. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 said, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. For I am conscious of... of excuse me, I'm reading too much. So, we all are looking in that mirror of God's Word, and, and it reflects us, and, and we're being transformed into His image, growing in Christ. That's what. And, and that's for the minister as well. If I stop growing... That would be terrible if I stopped growing it because I wasn't in the Word. In verse 4, he says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not aware of any unconfessed sins or habitual sins or presumptuous sins. Even his own judgment, he says, counts for nothing. The Lord knows. Conscience is the soul's warning system. What about unknown sin? Psalms 19, 
verse 12 and 13. It says, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. What is presumptuous sins? That's purposed sin. That means that you know it's a sin and you do it anyway. Do you think you have no purpose sins? Well, God's word says if you know to do right and don't do it, it's sin. So in a roundabout way, you're purposely sinning when you don't do and obey God's word. Verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and make manifest the motives of the hearts. And then each one, praise, will come to him from God. God's coming back. Christ is going to come back one day. And it could be any day. He's coming back. He's coming back and he's going to be in the sky and he's going to call his bride home. His church. And oh, what a day that day will be. Loved ones that's been passed on before will reunite. But yet, that's not the main attraction. As attractive as that's going to be. And as much as we talk about not hardly being able to wait to See our loved ones that's in heaven. The main attraction is going to be Jesus Christ himself. The all-glorious one. That we're going to see him face to face. And that when we see him, we will be like him. And we'll have no more sin. No more weight to carry. No more sin to entangle us. None. We will be like Him. And let the preachers, the ministers of God, continue to be obedient and preach the Word. And those who are not interested in preaching the Word, let them go be plumbers and carpenters and mechanics and let them serve the Lord in that way. We need men of God that preaches, preaches with a heart that people may hear the word of God. Do you know him today? Do you know this great and awesome and mighty God who before the world ever was created knew that one day that He would send His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and be the propitiation, to be that satisfaction for the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. That if only we would put our trust and our faith in the work of that Christ did upon the cross of Calvary by dying that sin, atoning death for all. And that we follow Him. He is the Good Shepherd. And we are His sheep. And we are to follow. He's worthy. He gives life and life more abundantly. For those who live in Christ.
I talked about an incident that happened in March 1989 when I walked in that Sheeney Baptist Church. But there was another, another incident in July 1973 when I was 13 years old and I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And I was saved. And then when I was 16, I, I got worldly. I started serving a God of popularity. I played football. And there's nothing wrong with playing football unless it does you like it did me and take your eyes off Jesus. And then I started getting a little popularity. And I was always just a little big-headed fat kid that didn't have much popularity. I was almost as popular as them Bernard boys in my school. But I got away so far away from God. And I chased everything that was popular. And it led me nowhere. So in March 1989, oh, I was a good hypocrite for those years between 16 and 28. I was a good hypocrite. I, when I got in trouble, I ran to God. I knew where to go when I got in trouble. I rededicate, rededicated my life about three times in those years. But I was never serious until March 1989. He finally got me to the place where he needed to get me. And oh, I wouldn't trade nothing for my journey now. And we've got to keep on keeping on. What about you? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would beg of you to find out more about Him. To find out what He has done for you personally and how He has a more abundant life for you. I'm not telling you that that means you're going to be rich and you're going to have all the things that you're going to want, but there's going to be a spirit in you that has peace when you know Christ. And it's worth more than anything this world can offer. Do you know him today? Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we come to you and we thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your mercy, your grace, your love. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to do a work in all of our hearts and help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing now.